Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease and this podcast, which isn't quite extreme, but that's okay. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Joining me on the podcast journey is reporter and contributor, Nikki Reitmeyer. Hey, Larry. You know, Nikki, I'm glad you're here. Uh, You know, Parkinson's can be a very lonely proposition. Uh, You know, it feels like an obstacle placed in my life's path, you know, that is my Jedi master test. (laughs) You think of Star Wars, I close my eyes, I try to sense where it's going to attack me next, and inevitably when I turn my attention to a a tremoring hand, it zaps my foot and forces me to stumble again. (laughs) It's personal, you know, Parkinson's. You know, it should be something that I can handle. It's something I can conquer, tame, or break, or trap, or get rid of by myself. You know, I'm a big guy. I got this, Nikki. But I don't got this. Aww. Yeah, you know, I'm finding the longer I'm on this journey, the more I need support from others, and the more I appreciate the community and the village and the whole whole, whole of Team Parky. <laughs> uh, and I'm not alone. Yeah. Uh, along my journey, I, I've become friends with a lot of people, including the three guys I want to introduce you to today, uh, who, after their Parkinson's diagnosis, decided to put PD on their back and confront it in extreme measures. Okay, so when you say extreme measures, what exactly are you talking about there? These guys are pushing themselves to the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual limits of the human body. And he's done it! Jimmy Choi defying the odds! This crowd is behind him. Jimmy Choi has been on the pod before. We first met him in episode one of season two, talking about personality changes with his Parkinson's. He was born in Taiwan, moved to the U.S. when he was 10. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's at 27 years old. It took eight years for him to take it seriously, and it took becoming a dad to whip him into shape for American Ninja Warrior. My goal is to go out there and show everybody out there, no matter what they're faced with, the hardest step is that first step. Once you take that first step, the rest of it comes easy. Well, check this out. Michael J. Fox recorded a special message for Jimmy. Take a look at our course Jumbotron. Hey, Jimmy. Team Fox has known for years that you've got the heart of a warrior. Now you're going to show the world. Life is an obstacle, of course, and Parkinson's has its own hurdles along the way, but you handle it all with grace and determination. No matter what happens tonight, you're already an inspiration to your family, people with Parkinson's, everyone watching, and me. We're all rooting for you to hit that buzzer. Get out and show them how it's done. 
Wow, I just got chills. What a great thing for Michael J. Fox to do. Jimmy Choi's wife and kids are here, but you know everyone is cheering for him right now. So, so Jimmy's leaping like five feet left to right over ever increasingly higher steps. And he's through! Jimmy Choi making quick work of the floating step. It's his wife and daughter, Karina, who got Jimmy to come out for this. The next big test, the hang glider. So here, here he has to grip individual swinging handles in a zip line, like 20 feet in the air at high speed. He zooms down. You can see the tremors in those hands. What looks like a giant cushiony pencil swinging in the breeze. He's going to clutch this with his feet, hug it, move his body over, rock back and forth, try to get momentum, and leap to the stage. Here he goes. Man, I love this show. Come on, Jimmy Choi. But I can't imagine being a competitor on it at the best of times. Nonetheless, doing it with Parkinson's disease. It's, a, it's unbelievable. Now my son's hooked, so we're watching it every weekend. And he's bouncing off all the furniture oh, around your oh, house. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> We've had to buy three new couches. No, not really. Uh, another friend of the pod is Tim Haig, and we talked to Tim back in March to preview the World Parkinson Congress. Then we met up with him again in June at the Congress in Kyoto. He was diagnosed over eight years ago. He was a nurse, a husband, a father, and things were going great in Winnipeg, Canada, until his big toe started to twitch. A year after his diagnosis, he applied for the Amazing Race Canada. And one. Seven provinces, three territories, 15 cities, and over 23,000 kilometers. And you are the first winners of the Amazing Race Canada. Tim Senior, what do you think your success on this show is going to show Canadians? I would hope that if anything, I could be an inspiration to young onset Parkinson's. Just to simply get off your ass. Get up and move. Don't let this disease take your life away. My dad has completely blown every expectation of him out of the water. Parkinson's isn't supposed to let you do half the things that he's done in this race. And... He not only did them, he kicked their butt, man. Man, that's so awesome. Oh, you just feel the adrenaline, right? Yeah, you're so excited for him just hearing that. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and before we dive into Jimmy and Tim's Parkinson's stories, I, I really want to introduce you to Brett Parker. Now, Brett is 51. He was diagnosed 13 years ago. He's the co-chair of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council and the executive director of the New York City Bar Association. So what's the craziest thing you've ever done to raise money for Parkinson's? <laughs> well, it depends who you ask. Uh, some people would <laughs> some people would think it's the skydive. Uh, some people would think it's uh, it's uh, a triathlon. But probably the, by by far the craziest thing I ever did was the World Marathon Challenge, which is seven marathons on seven continents in seven straight days. Okay, skydiving, uh, triathlon, that seven marathon challenge? That's just crazy. That, this, is, this is the most extreme thing I've ever heard. Now, um, I've never run a 5K, uh, so I'm not sure what the difference is between running one marathon and seven, because they all seem, just, it just sounds daunting to me to begin with. So I asked Brett, like, hey, hi, what's, what's the difference? You know, shockingly, the, the, the actual running of the marathon is is not the worst part. Um, I I and, and I think all the runners, except maybe some of the really crazy people, slowed slowed down our pace for these marathons. We you know we did them. I did them much slower. In fact, I did a lot of walking. So so that makes it a little bit easier on the recovery. Um, you know. Uh, it's hard to do it one after another after another because you don't get the, the the days or the weeks or the months off after you usually do a marathon before you would do another one. 
Um, but there's other complications like the jet lag and the food and the, and the time zones and, and flying that far again and again and again and again. Um, you know, that, that's the thing that makes it really tough. Man, that's so crazy. The amount uh, of, of physical endurance that it takes to accomplish something like that, but also the mental strength oh, it takes as well. Oh, man. I mean, you, you, I imagine uh, it got pretty uh, dark uh, during some of those runs. Oh, I'd love to hear more about it. Yes. He must have crazy stories yeah, to tell. So, well, he really wanted to prove that he could do things even people without Parkinson's would have trouble doing to show that... Yeah, he has Parkinson's, but it doesn't have him. Uh, so we we chatted about this insane feat. Seven marathons, seven days, seven continents. It's called the World Marathon Challenge. So where does it start? We fly to Antarctica. It's, a, it's about a six-hour flight from Cape Town. And you land on an ice and snow runway in the middle of nowhere with visibility, as the pilot told us, about 50 miles. And you land at a research station, and there's nothing there but some tents. Wow. The, the way we did the marathon was we did laps around the runway. So this is like a, a four or five mile loop that we ran several times. And after, I think the second lap, I, dro- I dropped my bag of, of Parkinson's medication at the, at the food station. Oh, no. And, <laughs> and I was pretty sure that's where it had fallen. But until I finished the next lap, I didn't know for sure that I was going to have my meds. And luckily, oh. I did find them. So that was, that was one snafu, which I, I did not do again. A, f- a couple hours later, we got back on the plane, and it's actually a very short flight back to Cape Town. That's when I said, oh, crap, I have to do another one. <laughs> and, and, in, and in fact, the flight is so short that we're really doing the first two marathons in under 24 hours, and the weather change is, v- is very dramatic. We go from when we finished Antarctica, it was about 15, 20 degrees Fahrenheit. When we started Cape Town about eight or nine hours later, it was up at up in the 70s uh, Fahrenheit. Uh, it's crazy. And we go from wearing literally, you know, ski goggles and gloves and hats and, and, and you know, down coats to wearing shorts and T-shirts. So we finished Cape Town, and then um, that's when we started the real flying. So after that, we flew to Perth. And that was, I don't know, it was more than 12 or 13-hour flight. I ate a can of Pringles every time I got on the plane because they were so good, and I can eat a can and not even worry about it. The problem was that after the first two marathons, getting into the third one, I was now starting to get some, some body issues. My right foot and my shin were starting, my left shin were starting to hurt, and I was starting to get blisters. And the Perth Marathon was, an, was a nighttime marathon. So we actually, we landed, um, we went to a nearby park and, and ran around a stadium. And that marathon, um, I was starting to, to realize that this might be a little bit tougher than I imagined. Okay, so from Perth, you go where? Then we go to Dubai, and that was another one where we were running at night. So we landed at night, we ran in the dark, and you, you know, you don't, you know, when you wow. think about running marathons, you don't think about running, running them at night. No. At like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, the call for prayers goes out, and I'm still running. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it was an all-nighter, but not a good kind. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, and then you went where? Lisbon was the one that really was was killer. It was my slowest one. By far, I did a nine-hour and 17-minute marathon. Whoa. Did you ever feel like giving um, up? Uh, no, but I was afraid that I wouldn't make it, which is, which is very different. I had to walk almost all of Lisbon. I had a horrible blister on my foot. The rain, the cold, shivering, you know, and that's, you know, even before the Parkinson's, and I had to make that plane because um, that plane was leaving whether I was on it or not. Right. Okay. So you survived Lisbon, and you end up where? 
So after that, uh, we go to Cartagena in Colombia. And that one, again, I, I was in so much pain. The, the, the blister on my foot, basically all the skin on half of one foot had torn off. Ew. So it was just raw skin. I know it's too graphic. I'm, I'm, I'm glad this is, this is radio and not, not visual. Maybe it's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. Um, at the end of that race, the race director came out and walked the last few miles with me, and we actually got lost at one point because it was nighttime and everybody was home. <laughs> so you went and, 27 and miles. Done, I'm sure we did 27 and a half miles. Oh. He'll, never, he'll never admit it, but I'm sure. We also got stopped by the local police because we kept running in these loops, and we went through a town square, which apparently was a source of drug dealing and prostitution. And I guess instead of thinking we were running marathons, they thought we were shopping around. And um, the cops finally stopped us, and and then they wanted to search me, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm someone with a bunch of pills in my pocket. Oh. This is not going to go well. Oh, no. <laughs> what happened? Um, and luckily, we talked our way out of it. We, we finished the race. It was not my slowest, and we made it back to the hotel in time for the plane to leave for the, the last one in Miami. Amazing. So you get to Miami right before the race. What are you feeling? Um, sorry. Um, well... First of all, I'm very excited because the first six marathons, we had no one out there cheering for us. There's, there's, I mean, we're in the dark. We're in, we're in countries where we don't know anybody. Um, finally, we knew we'd have some people out there cheering. Also, the weather was good. Um, it was a daytime marathon, <laughs> which, was, wow. which was nice. To at what least a pleasure. Run, nice to start running in the sunshine. Um, and, the, I, I, you know, I, the adrenaline alone got me going. I was finally able to run because... Um, uh, just, you know, seeing people was great. And there was a number of people who surprised me by showing up on the first lap. Um, uh, friends from the Fox Foundation, uh, high school friends, college friends. And um, that got me through. Yeah, that, that got me through. It was, it was really tough. I mean, I, after, after I started off sprinting the first couple of miles, and, and, which was clearly mind over matter because the blister was, was – I had no business moving at all. Um, I slowed down to walk. My son walked with me. My wife walked with me. Um, and uh, once again, I was last by a long shot, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. There's no way I was going to stop. There's a lot of emotion here. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about that. Um, it's, you know, it was, it was hard. It was, you know, I, I did the math in my head before I ran. I said, all right, well, if you walk a, a, a marathon at a treadmill and you do it at like three, four miles an hour, you know, you should be able to comfortably, briskly walk a marathon in like six and a half, seven hours. So that's what I figured. My worst case scenario was, you know, six and a half, seven hours. You know, I'm doing seven, eight, nine hour marathons where I'm not sure I'm going to finish. So it was, it was tougher than my worst case scenario. But people were so supportive. Um, you, know, you know, I talked about giving the updates um, while I was running, um, and people were commenting like crazy. It was, I think people were like, like I'm not sure he's going to make it. Um, and I actually, only after I finished and went back and read it all did I realize what it must have seemed like from the outside. Um, it really wasn't clear that I was going to finish. So what did you learn from doing this? Um, besides that, I'm a total nutbag. Um, you know, I, I realized, first of all, that I'm tougher than I thought. Um, you know, I, uh, it really, it really was, it was really tough. I mean, it was really tough at times. Um, I also realized that there's, you know, there's a point when 
um, you know, relying on people is okay. Um, I'm a very, you know, independent person. All of these events that I've done have been sort of, um, you know, individual races and individual activities. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not much of a, a, a team sports player, um, but it's okay to have people supporting you and cheering you on and, and, and leaning on them. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I, I think I realize that I don't have to go it alone. And have you applied that with your Parkinson's? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think increasingly I've tried to open up to people so that they um, they know how I'm feeling and when I'm feeling tired and when I'm feeling symptomy and um, you know that's all part of sharing you know sharing our true genuine selves so people know you know on the one hand you know I worry that people will think well how bad can Parkinson's be you know he did seven marathons you know it can't be such a bad disease. Um, uh, but, but, you know, that's, that's not the case for everyone. And that's not always the case for me. Um, there are some mornings when, uh, when I was training or even before or after the race, when, when I would have cramps in my feet and going out and running three miles was really hard. And in fact, even walking three miles was really hard. And there were moments during these marathons when I had to stop to let a cramp pass or a tremor pass or to take my medicine early. And, um, you know, what I learned is that sharing all of this with people um, doesn't make me weaker. It actually makes me stronger. You know, I love that he said being last didn't matter. He was just doing it. He was accomplishing this crazy, crazy feat. He doesn't seem to mind coming in last place or being vulnerable. Right. Well, and and he, he even said, you know, being vulnerable has opened up a whole new world for him. His, his friendships have grown stronger. He has all the support. And he thought it was going to be a, like a weakness to ask for help. And he realizes now, like, he's not in it alone. Just like I'm realizing, I'm not in it alone. You yeah. know, the more vulnerable, the more you share your story, the more people come to support you. And, uh, and there's a lot of comfort in that, knowing that there's people out there not just cheering you on, but there to catch you if you fall. And I imagine for the two guys that you talked to who shared their stories on TV, Jimmy and Tim, they must have received so much support after being on television, too. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Jimmy, the American Ninja Warrior, uh, we serve on the Michael J. Fox Patient Council together. In real life, you know, he's a graduate of Purdue University. He's been working in IT all of his life. Three years after he was married in the year 2000, he was going for a, a routine physical for a life insurance policy, Nikki. Huh. And the nurse kind of pulled him aside and says, you know, I work at a neurologist's office and yeah, I'm seeing some things here that you might want to go get checked out. And so he got a referral to see a neurologist. But at the time, she did not mention Parkinson's. So lo and behold, um, months later, after talking to my doctor and referrals after referrals after referrals, I found myself sitting in the neurologist's office, head down in disbelief as I was being told that I had Parkinson's. Take me into that room. What was going through your head? Um, it's, 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 I think shock was the, is the best way that I can, I can describe it. Um, I was so sure that nothing was wrong up until this point. I was so sure that it was stress. It was, it was playing a lot of golf that caused the, you know, the, the rigidity and the stiffness that I was feeling. Um, I was so sure that, that they're going to tell me that, Hey, you know what, just take it easy for a little bit, go take a vacation. You're going to be fine. Um, I was not expecting Parkinson's. It, it was the furthest word from, from my mind. I, I even swore at my doctor, um, if, if my recollection 
is uh, is, is accurate. I, and I'm like, you know, you're effing crazy, right? Um, because for me, what I knew about Parkinson's was it is an old person's disease. There's no way a person who's 27 years old can possibly have it. So I think I went directly into denial from there. And I stayed there. I stayed there for a long time. Okay, so... He said that he went into denial. I mean, yeah, I understand that that could happen. What did that look like for him? Well, it's a dark place, Nikki. I, I convinced myself that one day I'm going to wake up and my doctor's going to tell me that, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Troy, we made a misdiagnosis. You actually have a tumor in your head that once we remove it, you're going to be perfectly fine. Now, think about it this way. Think about this. What I just said, right? Think about wow. this. I'd rather have a tumor in my brain than Parkinson's. And that's, that's my thought process was one day they're going to tell me that they found a tumor in my brain and that that was better than having Parkinson's. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he, he rejected the notion of Parkinson's outright. They gave him a booklet and a pamphlet to read like everybody gets, mm -hmm. never opened them. Wow. He didn't accept it. He didn't take the medicine. He didn't exercise. He just went on living life as if nothing had happened. He didn't even tell his wife, Cheryl. Um, I kept it from her for a good three months after that, uh, after my initial diagnosis. Wow. Yeah, Cheryl and I were talking about kids um, at that time and I'm like, well, how am I supposed to raise a family living with Parkinson's? Because the first thing you, first thing you do is you, you, your your mind takes you, fast forwards you to, uh, to what you think you know about Parkinson's, right? A disease that robs you of of your ability to ability to move and to, and um, Cheryl would have to wait on me hand and foot, and she had to you know, care for me. Uh, and since I was diagnosed at such a young age, would that happen sooner or, or later? I just didn't know. And, and that was my biggest fear, was just not knowing what's going to happen. And ultimately, it just started to, to just dig and dig and dig. And, and it came to the point where um, I agreed with my doctor that I would, I would try to take medication and, and see if I can um, continue to live the life that I, that I know by masking a lot of these symptoms. And it was at that point that I finally had to tell her. I sat her down and I said, hey, you know, I've been going to the doctors and, and this is what they're telling me. And I, that they think that you know, I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's. And, and it was a shock to her. She's like, what? What, what, the hell, you know, what are you talking about? It came off sort of nonchalant and, and, and no big deal. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think if I take this pill, I'm going to be just fine. Did the meds work? Was he all right after that? <laughs> yeah, no, it uh, didn't quite work the way he was hoping. So let's flash forward eight years, Nikki. It's now 2011. Jimmy and Cheryl now have two kids. I, I was walking with a cane. Um, I was no longer active. You know, I, I gained a lot of weight. At the time, I was up to 240 pounds. As if things weren't bad enough that I was snapping at my family, screaming at my kids, um, you know, sitting around really not contributing to 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 the daily activities of of um a household right being a husband being a dad um i was walking down the stairs with my then eight month old son his name is mason and we fell down the stairs uh, what you... yeah the two the two of us fell down an entire flight of stairs oh, it's a nightmare it is it it, it, it really is and and the the, the the other worst part about this is that my wife and my daughter witnessed the fall. Oh they stay, they watched they watched as we as we tumbled down these stairs. Um, thank goodness Mason was okay; he was fine. 
but that really that was my moment that was my rock bottom moment i had to make a decision then and there whether and what i was what i was going to do with my life am i going to try to be uh, the dad and the husband that my family deserves or am i really just throwing in the towel i chose to make a better version of myself from that moment on and the first thing i did remember that that booklet and that pamphlet that i said i never opened yeah i opened it up good for you how did he go from that low moment from falling down the stairs to both literally and figuratively picking himself up and eventually competing on American Ninja Warrior. Well, it was, it was a journey. It didn't happen overnight. And it actually started with research. He signed up for every study he could uh, with, frankly, reckless abandon. I would sign up for the riskiest of all trials. And if they gave me a, a, an experimental drug or a procedure and it killed me, I gave up my body for, for, for the better of, uh, of, of research and, and I didn't have to live with the disease anymore, and that wouldn't be the worst thing. How did your wife feel about you doing all that? Um, so I never told her that part about <laughs> There you about, go again, you know, keeping uh, secrets from your wife. Yeah. That never well, ends you know, up well. <laughs> and you're right, it, it, it doesn't. But I never told her the part about, you know, it, it, if, if I were to be taken in one of these trials for, because of bad medication or, or, or procedure gone wrong, I'd be okay with that. I never told her that. Right. Uh, but she was very supportive of me finally taking action. So Jimmy noticed that all the trials that he did also had a physical component, from a bike study to CrossFit training or just doing a treadmill to playing really active games on the Wii. You know, every test he did, there was, was something, physical. something physical. The more I did, the better I felt. Now, I, I felt I, I wouldn't feel necessarily good immediately after the sessions. I'd be spent. I'd be tired. My tremors would be worse. Uh, I'd be more stiff. But soon after the, the those activities, I'd notice that, hey, you know what? I feel like I have more control. Um, I feel like I have more energy back uh, for a longer period of time. And, and it started incorporating that into my daily lives. Um, you know, I just started walking around the block, you know, with, with my family. So soon, you know, Jimmy would leave the cane at home and he'd hobble down the block. And then before long, he was walking a mile and then he started, hey, maybe I'll jog. And jogging became a run. And then he worked up the courage to run and compete in his first 5K. Oh, it, it, it felt like, I, it felt like I, 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 I won the gold medal in, 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 in an Olympic event. Awesome. Um, and when I did that, it was an accomplishment. Not only that it was the first time that I did it for myself, but the fact that I did it despite having Parkinson's. Man, that is so awesome. Yeah. Well, and listen, so we talk about American Ninja Warrior. The guy has run 100, more than 100 now, half marathons, Whoa. more than 15 marathons, an ultra marathon. He's raised over $250,000 for Parkinson's research with running. Oh, my goodness. And this is the same guy who at one point didn't tell his wife he had Parkinson's, who, who was walking with a cane, who had fallen down the stairs. And now this this is Jimmy. Yeah, this is and this is Jimmy, not just by himself. Now it's uh, Team Jimmy. Yes, that's the difference, isn't it? Yeah. Everybody that I've met um, uh, living with living with Parkinson's, that's living well. Um, they have that that inner circle of support. 
um, you know, like, like my wife, like your wife, um, parents, uh, brothers, sisters, best friends. Um, and and I, I think that's, that's absolute key in the way that uh, a person with Parkinson's can live well is, is to, ha- is to build that inner circle. And that inner circle doesn't come easily. Right. No, uh, it, it takes some effort. And I think, uh, for a person with Parkinson's, it all starts with being open, being acceptant, uh, and being really comfortable in telling the story and really comfortable and not afraid to ask for help. Uh, you know, don't be that stubborn person. Don't be, don't be, don't be Superman. You know, um, it takes a village and build that village. Yeah. Don't try to do it on your own. So Jimmy mentioned our wives, you know, and as listeners to the pod know, uh, Rebecca is the co-captain of uh, my Parkinson's support team. Uh, Tim Haig, winner of Amazing Race Canada, was encouraged to go on the show in 2012 by his amazing wife, Cheryl, after his diagnosis in 2011. So Tim, Cheryl, my wife, Rebecca, and I recently sat down for a chat about marriage and Parkinson's and reality shows and more. Uh, And with all PD stories, the first sign for Tim was subtle, small, but alarming. I will never forget it because I was sitting in my kitchen Saturday morning reading the newspaper and I literally had a brand new thought and it was my left big toe is twitching. I literally looked down saw that my big my left big toe was indeed twitching and thought to myself oh no it's either ms or parkinson's and that was literally the first five minutes and that you had that thought because you're a nurse by trade that's right because i was a nurse because my father had parkinson's i have a half sister who has ms and so i knew you don't wake up uh, twitchy for no good reason Um, Well, I was not a part of that experience at all because he didn't tell me any of that (laughs) until we were on our, uh, we were celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary by a trip in Europe. And so in the middle of the trip, he kind of breaks down and says, you know, I I have been having this twitching and I don't know if there's something wrong with me. And so we just decided, well, it's not really affecting our, our trip. Let's just forget about it for now and we'll get it checked out when you get back and um, so that was sort of when I realized that there was something. I mean, but I was in denial for a long time that it was actually anything as serious as Parkinson's. I just figured it was it was nothing. So when the diagnosis happened uh, and you got the official word that it was Parkinson's, what what went through your mind then? Start with you, Tim. Oh, I was depressed. I was ticked because dad had had this and it, it, I knew what it was like I knew what would potentially come and so unfortunately I got down and depressed and stopped running, stopped cycling stopped doing the things I knew should do to take care of myself and it was just ugly for a while So, I think for me it was very easy to forget that it was there because he went to work every day nothing in our life really changed and so um, I was probably in denial uh, more than he was. I mean, he, he he had signs of it every day, you know, constant reminders, whereas I could, you know, he would go to work and I could forget that he had Parkinson's until he came home and reminded me that he was tired or overwhelmed or, you know, um, or his leg was hurting from cramping or whatever it was. Then, then I'm curious... When did it shift into more of an, uh, I don't know what word you would want to use, or acceptance, or coming to terms with, or 
allowing it to be part of your consciousness? Um, I think it was it was sort of a gradual process because you you know you're you're constantly um, over time given uh, reminders that it is there. Um, and in hindsight, I wish that I had I was an optimist and also you know wanting to avoid where this was going. So I didn't really do any research or reading up in anything because I didn't want to know. <laughs> um, but now I wish that I had because I think that in researching a bit, I would have recognized um, some things that were are attributed to Parkinson's that would have helped me be more understanding or would have helped me to uh, us us as a, as a team to work through this, especially with our kids. So Larry, as someone uh, who is married, who has a child, what would be your advice for anyone who has been uh, recently diagnosed and needs to share this information with the people who will eventually become a part of their support team? Well, you know, as Cheryl said, you know, you, you, you worry about your kids and how do you tell your kids? How do you talk to your kids? Yeah. Uh, and, and what we found and what we discussed with Tim and Cheryl, too, is like open, honest communication. And, and depending on their age, you just give them enough to satisfy their curiosity in the moment, answer their questions, but you don't have to give them more than they ask for. Right. Um, you know, and understand that Parkinson's causes mood changes and short tempers and agitation and attitude and quick triggers and I snap, you know, so. Well, stuff you, kids might not understand. Right. But, and if you don't do the research, you as a partner may not understand. Uh. And you think, what's going on with you? Why are you so angry all the time? And if you know it's part of the Parkinson's, it's a little bit easier to handle than if it's like, that's just you. Right. So do the research, have those conversations with, you know, your spouse and your kids so they know what to expect right. when you're going through things Read like this. Read those brochures. And have open, honest communication. <laughs> yes. I like it. Uh, Dr. Uh, Sonia Mather, who has Parkinson's, says PD is a gift that keeps on taking. <laughs> Uh, Meaning that with all the bad Parkinson's throws at us, uh, there there are some silver linings. And I I asked Tim and Cheryl what Parkinson's has given them. I think uh, for us as a couple, it has helped us to eliminate needless um, problems and issues in our our marriage. We have just kind of honed in on what's really important and um, how important we are to each other. Um, But it has brought so much into our lives as far as um, people that we've met, opportunities that we've had. Um, We just feel so blessed. You know, just the opportunity to see um, not just people with Parkinson's, but so many people around the world that have so much less than we do. Um, It makes us very, very grateful for what we have, even with the Parkinson's. Well, at some point it gets a little embarrassing. Because I, I like to say that Parkinson's has given me far more than it's taken. And that, that is very much a reality. I mean, Parkinson's gave me the amazing race. The amazing race gave us a huge financial payout in winning it, right? <laughs> right? It has, in, in winning the race, that threw open the door to speaking. That, that threw open the door to writing a book. And I mean, it's... Parkinson's has been a massive blessing in our life. And that's really difficult to wrap your head around because I hate Parkinson's. I hate it with a passion. And as I often say when I speak, there's not been a single day I've ever woke up and thought that I was happy to have Parkinson's. And yet, if I didn't have Parkinson's, I'd probably still be a nurse, pulling a day job, 
not sitting in Kyoto, Japan, not having done any of the things that I've had the opportunity to do these last eight years. So balance that for me. Figure out the, the scales on that one because it's way out of whack that this lousy freaking disease has given us so, so much. So I talked to Brett and Jimmy and Tim, and I, I noticed that these extreme activities that they entered to test themselves, to spite Parkinson's, led them to similar conclusions, that it's not always about the individual battles with this disease, and you don't need to be extreme. It's, it's just realizing your strength can be in meeting the challenge of waking up and getting out of bed each day. It's about just moving. It's about being real and vulnerable and sharing your story. And it's finding strength in building a community around you and, and being willing to ask for help. I don't, I don't expect everybody to run marathons. I don't expect everybody to ride bikes for hundreds of miles. I certainly don't expect people to hang on obstacles and, and, and try you know, to, 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 to balance on, on, on a dumbbell uh, on your legs. But anything, can be, anything active can be a form of exercise. You know, if your passion is gardening, for example, Go out there and do more gardening. So what? It takes you a little longer to plant something. So what? It takes you a little longer to, to you know, to to, to move a, a flower bed. Um, go and do it because you enjoy it, and you want. If, if you do something you enjoy, you're going to do more of it, and more of anything active is good for Parkinson's. It's one thing to show the athlete going and doing the thing, me running or or Jimmy Choi doing his ninja warrior thing. It's another thing to show us getting DBS. It's another thing showing us uh, sitting on our psychiatrist's couch trying to get through the emotional uh, baggage that we carry. And we haven't been entirely honest. And I mean, I'm, I'm at fault for some of that because when I put up a social media post, it's far easier to put up my post after I've gone for my five-mile run than it is when my wife's pulled me out of the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> so we, you're absolutely right. We have to be honest in telling the whole story. Yeah. And that's hard to do. It's hard to be vulnerable. Very hard to do. But I think that's what's the next step, step here for all of us. So you have you. You've, you've got Jimmy Choi on American Ninja Warrior. you got Tim Haig, who won season one of Amazing Race Canada. You know, these, you're all examples of people that are doing things that you probably shouldn't be doing with Parkinson's. Uh, but it's inspiring, and it's you know, drawing attention to it. Why is it important for us to have bigger-than-life moments like that uh, in order to raise awareness for Parkinson's? Well, you know, I think it's it's to show that that the Parkinson's is not only going to not hold us back. So we could still do the 5K, we can still do the the 10K, we can still do the half marathon, but we can in fact hit hit the things that were a reach for us because there's there's a sense of 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 urgency. There's a, a desire to show that we won't be defined. Um, but then there's people out there again, you know, who who pick their own epic thing, as I'll say, um, to to be a challenge for them. I mean, not everyone's epic thing is seven marathons. For some people, because of their age, their what their illness is doing, their health, you know, a, a five a five k is is a big deal. And so I think doing the epic things, doing these big things, um, is a way of reaffirming uh, that we're going to control our lives. Um, it's it's hard for us to have any control over the disease um, when there's not a cure yet. So all we can do is deal with how we react to it and what we do with it. Um, and if if my doing a run inspires someone to to do a run, uh, then you know that's that's all that matters. 
what, what, what advice would you give folks who are like listening to this going, I can't do that, I, I, but I want to raise money or I want to raise awareness. You know, what, what can I do in my small town? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of, you know, maybe, maybe I, I don't have a lot of friends or like, what, what, what can I do? Well, I think I think you know sharing your story with people, letting people into your to your journey, to your challenge, um, and letting them share in the experience. Let, you know, let them share in the, t- the difficulties of training and prepping. Um, open up to your moments of of fear and concern and challenge. Um, you know, uh, I think when you when people see how hard it can be um, with Parkinson's or without Parkinson's, but you know, also particularly with Parkinson's, um, I think. That that lets people be empathetic and really know what you know the challenges that we have to face every day, um, and I think that inspires people to want to be supportive. and And it, it doesn't have to be a lot of money, and it doesn't have to be a lot of distance, but showing your true, genuine self, I think, is a way to let people in. Each week, Larry sits down with his wife Rebecca to check in and talk about the episode. So it may not have been as obvious during the. The meat of the podcast, but one thing I noticed was like Brett when he does most of the, he, these annual events, like this last one, he went to Maine and did a hundred mile bike ride. His wife also did it, and you heard uh, them announce that, that when Jimmy was on American Ninja Warrior, Cheryl was in the audience with the kids. Yep. And you know, we sat down with Tim and Cheryl, uh, and Cheryl's the one that encouraged Tim and Tim Jr. to apply for the Amazing Race. Yep, gave him tips because she'd tips. been watching the American version. Oh well, yeah, remember she's like, okay, now you got to go and you'll like, we'll see, notice little things, and that's, right? Yeah, that's great. That's why they won. Uh, so th- the the support of our wives is really important and it's really important to me and the podcast too i mean look you're you're supporting me now as much as we talk about these are personal journeys and these are they're all alone and these you know testing their the boundaries of the physical mental and spiritual they're doing that alongside their partner alongside their partner and finding other other people for their community along the way as well but they had they all had to start with that partner mm-hmm. and whoever your person is right their best friend their mom their son their partner, spouse, whoever it is. It's something that we all feel we should have the strength to do it on our own, but uh, the reality is the strength that we have comes from other people. Mm -hmm. It comes from um, the the support or just the the love and the energy or or the physical, hey, let me do that for you, like, and letting and giving people the opportunity to carry my bag or to open a door and not be so, you know, Bullheaded that I no, I got this. I can do it on my own. <laughs> and that's not you always, bullheaded. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I wonder if you ever feel like I that you're left out of it at, at any time, or have been left out of it because I I do get on that like singular. This is my fight mindset. Left out. That's hard to tell because when you are off. You are insular and within yourself. So it's hard to tell whether that's a conscious choice or just part of the disease for when you're off your meds. So I don't, I guess I wouldn't say that I feel left out. And if there are times when you do feel, feel like you need to keep it to yourself, I trust that you just need to keep it to yourself because that's what you need at that time. Yeah. It makes sense that as you're finding 
a sense of empowerment within your disease experience. That once you let somebody else in to do it with you, that helps the process. So you're deepening that relationship, but it also, because you're able to trust that one person, perhaps it's easier then for you to be vulnerable and open up and tell your story to the community. And then you get that community support, all three examples. And you've experienced this, I've experienced this as well. The community finds you. I think it's a really cool sort of B plot line of how valuable our care partners are. Uh, in supporting us in, in doing advocacy and, and you know and really testing the boundaries of what we can do with Parkinson's and uh, so thank you for supporting me and all that I do. You're welcome and thanks for supporting me and all that I do. You're welcome. I love you. I love you too. Next time on when life gives you Parkinson's. Improv for Parkinson's. I've got the Parkinson's. You've got the improv. So it's a good combination, yeah. <laughs> How long did it take before you laughed about it? A long time. I started doing stand-up after all, uh, about a year. You think I'm going to start cracking shit jokes about martini? I'm living with Parkinson's. When we have our meetings once a month, we started off with a secret handshake. <laughs> in improv, we create a safe space to learn, and we celebrate failure. So to be in that kind of a space, it's uplifting. And then you, you, you get this community. I talk about really is trying to find the comedy in Parkinson's and my message I suppose is to take serious illnesses less seriously this is when life gives you Parkinson's a curious cast podcast our presenting sponsor is Parkinson Canada parkinson.ca thank you to our special guest Jimmy Choi Tim Haig, Cheryl Haig, Brett Parker, Rebecca Gifford, and special thanks to CTV and Bell Media for the audio of The Amazing Race Canada. Special thanks also to our promotional partners, Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young onset Parkinson's disease. You can find them at spotlightyopd.org. And in the United States, Parkinson's IQ Plus U. This is a free series of Parkinson's events from the Michael J. Fox Foundation to educate and empower people with Parkinson's and their partners. Go to michaeljfox.org slash PDIQ. And of course, thank you for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, give the show a rating and please leave a comment about why you enjoy listening to the podcast. You can also engage with us on social media at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also email Pod at CuriousCast.ca. We'd also like you to add your voice to the pod. We invite you to record your message at speakpipe.com slash when life gives you Parkinson's. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.